My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. As regular listeners of this program will know, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, we welcome Phil Sayers onto the show today. Phil, uh, welcome and thank you for joining us on the program. Oh, my pleasure and thanks for inviting me, Scott. And for those listeners that may not be familiar with Phil, he is the founder of Proton Sales Development Limited, which provides expertise, advice and coaching to small and medium-sized enterprises who essentially need to improve the effectiveness of their sales activities. Um, now, Phil, that's obviously a very sort of brief overview as to what your business does. Um, you've been sort of running this business now for around about for four years, but it's not the only firm that you've been in charge of. So did you realize sort of early on in your career, do you feel that sort of going into business, going into leadership of business was going to be the way forward for you? I, I did, if I'm honest, Scott, I think from the start of my career, I always wanted to get into, into leadership roles. Um, and and I give, give you a little bit of background. I've, I've been in sales, sales management, sales director roles for 35 plus years now and started off in a very traditional manner in my beige full Cortina driving around the country in the early 80s, moved into sales management roles um, and then had a role which didn't really work out. I wasn't happy with it at all and, and left. And that was the trigger point for me to actually set up my first business. So I did that in the early 90s. Um, which developed in a number of ways. I ran that for around seven years before shutting it down, went back into employment, and then had a number of senior sales and general management roles up until around four years ago when I set up Proton Sales Development. And, and these days, I use, you know, a bit, bit cliche, but I use those years of experience and the skills and the knowledge that I built up to, to help other small businesses um, improve the way that they, they sell their own products and services. And without sort of giving too much away as to the kind of services that you provide, of course, uh, we do have a lot of younger viewers on this program who are of that kind of entrepreneurial mindset that might have their own sort of big idea. So from your experience of going and setting up businesses yourself, what advice would you give to sort of a young professional to really kind of get them on the road to success with their own venture? I think I'd, I'd probably say two key things, Scott. First and foremost, work out what problems your business is going to be solving for your potential customers. Um, I, I, I do a lot of work in the technology space, and I see lots of businesses that are founded by technical experts in a particular field. And they fall into the trap of assuming that because they understand what their product does, if they just explain what their product does, then customers are just going to flock to them and want to buy it. And of course, we all know the reality is that is very, very different. So the, the starting point for me is be clear on what your real value is, how you're going to be helping your customers, whether they're other businesses or whether they're consumers. And I think the other big piece of advice is don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, I've, I've been working for close to 40 years now and you know and, and i would say none of us has all the answers and i think that there is this sort of myth 
that has sort of propagated over the years that if you set up a business, you're going to be an expert. You're going to know exactly what you're doing from day one. The reality is completely the opposite. There will be lots of areas where you do need help, where you do need, need advice. So don't be afraid to ask for help, whether that's from friends, whether it's from peers, whether it's from former colleagues, or whether it's from professionals like myself. Exactly right. And I think we've really discovered the value of that sort of networking, if we call it that, certainly during the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic, because it's sort of thrust business and it's thrust industry into an issue where we're all effectively in the same boat, aren't we? Of course, some industries have fared better than others, uh, but business has had to pivot, it's had to adapt. And it's quite often business leaders have been looking to each other for that sort of help, that solace and that advice. Um, And from your point of view, given that your role, Phil, is to advise businesses on how they go about selling their product, I can imagine that probably quite a few business leaders over the last couple of years would have also come to you during that process to try and see how during that transition they can still sort of reach out and get their product out to their customers as well. Oh, that's absolutely correct, Scott. I mean, it's it's been fascinating and painful for many to see that the changes that we've seen over the last of a couple of years. But, you know, I've worked with some businesses who have found that their business took off in, in lockdown, mm. either because of the way that they were operating or because of what they were, they were, they were selling. Um, I've got other clients who really, really struggled. And I think if I'm brutally honest, you know, my business pretty much fell off a cliff when we first went into lockdown. And I had to do a very rapid pivot to uh, to get things back on track. And interestingly, right now, I'm working with a client who did incredibly well during lockdown. Uh, and yet, once we started to come out the other side, their sales just plummeted because people were, were looking for different things and operating in different ways. So they've had to completely reinvent how they promote their products to, to their target audience as well. So it's been an absolutely fascinating experience to, to go through and to and in many cases to help others come out the other side in a stronger position. Mm. I can imagine from helping others and from the experience of pivoting your own business in order to be able to do that, you probably learned quite a lot from this uh, past couple of years. So despite all of the tragedy and despite all the difficulty, um, you could argue that those businesses that have made it through, I mean, it's made them more resilient, including your own, and including those that you've worked with. I, I think that's true, and I think that resilience comes from a couple of different angles as well. The one is you know, lockdown forced people to very rapidly rethink how they were operating, and we saw changes being implemented that in previous times would have taken months, if not years, to actually implement, and yet lockdown was such a dramatic change that it forced businesses to completely transform how they were operating. And those that did it and did it quickly and effectively have, have really started to flourish. From from my own personal perspective, it forced me to, to change how I delivered a lot of my services and forced me to go online, which meant um, rewriting, reworking a lot of the material that I use. But ironically, it then opened up all sorts of new opportunities. So prior to lockdown, most of my delivery was done face-to-face, working with clients. We went into lockdown, everything switched online, and suddenly I was able to service clients around the world. So I was running workshops in New Zealand at nine o'clock at night. I was running workshops for clients who had people who were based in South America, in the States, in Canada, 
uh, and and in in Africa simultaneously. And this is something that I wouldn't have considered at all pre-lockdown. But I think the other big fundamental switch that I saw, particularly with owner-managed businesses, was lockdown forced them to rethink what was important. And so for a lot of the businesses I've been working with, whereas previously their main driver was growth of the business, increasing revenues, increasing profits, increasing earnings, suddenly they were starting to question whether or not that should be their fundamental objective. And many of them started to think, well, actually, now I've got time to spend more time to spend with, with family. And then as we opened up more with, with friends as well, then perhaps that ought to be one of my priority objectives as well. So I've seen lots of businesses where they've completely switched their focus and have a much more balanced outlook on what it is they want the business to deliver to them. Yeah. And, and certainly for me, I think that's a far healthier way of, of operating as well. Yeah, definitely. And um, you mentioned as well that, you know, your business has been able to be opened up to a sort of a far greater international audience as a result of lockdown, because you've sort of reached out to places like South America, to places like New Zealand. Um, Obviously, with that kind of increased workload, you know, that kind of increased reach, um, is it easy to kind of maintain sort of a work-life balance and not sort of be on a video call all of the time? Because I suppose the benefits of flexible and remote working it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword because you can find yourself replying to emails at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, whereas you maybe wouldn't normally do that in kind of an office setting. That, that, that's true, but I think I think the other element to this is, is that it, it's forced me to be far more selective about who I work with. Mm. So I, I, you know, my guiding principle is that I try and work to a fairly set, working hours regime. Um, so whilst I do get requests from, from clients to, to operate outside those normal hours, for the most part, I, w- I will turn it down, but explain exactly why I'm doing that. And it is for, for my own health and, and mental sanity. Um, so, so far, I've been actually quite successful at, at doing that. And it's something that I encourage my clients to do as well, to think, you know, it's all well and good trying to fill the diary. But if at the end of the week, you're completely exhausted and you then can't enjoy the free time that you have, then perhaps you need to question the, the working ethos uh, and whether or not it's actually um, a healthy lifestyle for you. Mm. The pandemic certainly has put a lot more emphasis on the work-life balance on mental health. So just how important is, you know, sustaining mental well-being from a leadership perspective, not just in terms of like looking after that of your colleagues, but also that of yourself as well, because in a crisis situation, especially like the last couple of years, it can feel very, very lonely at the top as well, can't it? So you've also got to make sure you do look after number one at times. Oh, oh, you do totally, Scott. I mean, you know, it's always been the case that leadership roles can, can be a very lonely place. And there's this huge expectation on leaders to, to be the guiding force behind the business. But I think equally, as we said at the start, you know, it, leaders shouldn't be afraid to, to ask for support. And, and I think you can do that in a number of ways, not least be prepared to be open and honest with the teams that you're leading and ask them for support because they will t- typically, those that want to step up, will welcome the opportunity to provide that support. It will help them develop their own skills, their own capabilities, and it becomes a far more healthy environment for everybody to be working in. But equally, you know, for leaders, 
looking for help from outside, whether that's bringing in sort of non-exec directors to provide additional guidance and expertise, whether it's working with professional coaches or mentors, or working with a network of peers or operating with a network of the peers can be incredibly valuable in providing that, you know, that, that mental support as well as, you know, additional guidance and, uh, uh, and contribution of new ideas. And obviously to reach out for that support, it's about showing a certain authenticity and a certain vulnerability in leadership, isn't it? It's acknowledging that, you know, maybe I do need to reach out for some help, for some support and, Perhaps sometimes, particularly in British culture, we can be a little bit guilty of being averse to that, can't we? And on the other hand, we perhaps need to sort of open up to that a little bit more. But maybe the sort of emphasis on mental health post-pandemic, maybe that means that leaders are more inclined to talk about these things and we are being more open about this topic. Oh, I would agree totally. And certainly in the past, I've been guilty of, of bottling things up, not openly admitting that perhaps you know, I wasn't on top of everything that I should be. Um, and it's one of the key aspects that I end up working through with certainly with, with my coaching clients is making sure that they, they do keep mental health at the, at the top of their, their priority list. But I, but I also think that there has been a fundamental switch. There's, there's a far greater level of discussion around mental health and the importance of, of mental health nowadays. Um, and, uh, and I, I do genuinely hope that that leaders in general um, continue to make these changes in being prepared to be open and honest. And I think for the most part, nobody will get criticism for for doing so because it it is a a healthy attitude towards working life and also home life as well. It is, absolutely. And um, if we look at, say, you know, this great skills resignation that's been going on and been well documented sort of during and post-pandemic as well, um, it's a difficult environment for recruitment in quite a lot of industries right now. And what we are seeing is a lot of candidates going forward for roles. Some of the first things that they're now looking for within a business is where does sort of mental well-being, where does flexible working fit into the culture of that business? So, it just goes to show that, you know, the emphasis is changing, demands are changing among potential workforces and leaders do have to be very sensitive to that. And this sort of emphasis on sort of the uh, the work-life balance per se, that's got to filter through down into the ethos of the business as well. Oh, oh it does. I mean, I think it's been fascinating to see how the attitude towards remote working has changed radically over the last couple of years, you know, prior to lockdown. For the most part, within within the business community, remote working was was unusual. It was perhaps in some cases frowned upon. Um, many businesses felt that they needed their staff to be in in a, a constant office environment in order to monitor and supervise what they were doing. Lockdown forced them to to, to switch their working model completely, and then lo and behold, discovered that actually it could it can work in many cases, and that people. Um, reflect, uh, not reflect, but staff will um, actually enjoy working in a remote environment, perhaps not permanently, but at least um, uh, on a fairly regular basis. Because, you know, if I think back to the last leadership role I had, it was a two hour commute door to door at the beginning and end of every day. And that's not a healthy lifestyle. That destroys your, your week. There is no time to do anything other than work. 
and at the weekend I was I was completely drained just trying to to recover and recuperate, and that simply isn't healthy. So providing people with the, the flexibility to to work from home, of course, as long as it's practical, um, has huge benefits uh, both to the individual staff members but also to the business as a whole because typically staff become actually far more productive and um, value working for the organization more than they would other, otherwise do. And I think it shows a greater level of trust, doesn't it, when leaders are willing to give sort of their colleagues uh, the ability to work flexibly like that. And maybe it was a trust issue leading up to lockdown, which is why maybe it didn't accelerate perhaps as quickly as it has now. I, I think that's true, Scott. I think trust was a big part of it. Um, but I've always tended to, to take the attitude when, when I was running running large teams was, you know, if you treat people like adults, they'll respond to it and they'll appreciate it. Um, and you have to you have to trust the people who are working for you. Clearly, if you think that that trust is being abused, then that's something that you need to address. But the more freedom you give people and the scope and the leeway to, to work in a way that suits themselves, provided they're delivering the results that you need them to, then does it really matter if they're not in the office between the hours of nine and five? Um, and, and, and I think I do a lot of work within within the accountancy profession as well, bizarrely. And, and what I've seen in, within that industry is that one of the things that technology has allowed the profession to do is to have far more flexibility in the way that they work. So much so that what I've seen over the last sort of 10 years or so is a huge growth in the number of accounting firms that have been set up by particularly things like working parents mm. where they need the flexibility to work around school hours and technology has allowed them to do that and i think we're going to see an acceleration of those types of of uh, working methodologies coming over over the coming years because lockdown has proved that you know for many businesses this flexible approach can work and work really effectively it certainly can and it's going to be a very interesting time to see sort of how that really takes shape and Obviously, um, as it does start to uh, to do so, I mean, I'd actually relish the opportunity, uh, Phil, to sort of catch up with you on the show and just sort of maybe assess how things are different because it is in a constant state of flux. Uh, but before, obviously, we sort of wrap up on the uh, the program today, um, I do want to talk about the future with regards to sort of yourself and your own business, Proton Sales Development. Um, over sort of the next 12 months, as we sort of get to grips with this kind of post-COVID and quite volatile period, obviously there's cost of living crisis raging in the background, a war in Europe, continuing supply chain issues. Um, what are your sort of priorities and what are you sort of really kind of hoping to have achieved by this time in 2023, would you say? Well, for me, it's really continuing with the changes that I implemented as we went into lockdown. So as I said before, you know, I, I switched my delivery model to 100% online. And what's really interesting is that the vast majority of the clients I've been working through, with throughout lockdown have remained working online, <laughs> which has advantages to them. It certainly has you know, operational and financial uh, advantages for me. Um, so the, the things that will come over the next 12 months for me are, are continuing to develop the range of service offerings that I provide. Um, but increasingly, I think the trend has moved away from just purely offering what I used to do, which was pure sort of sales training programs, to a combination of sales training with 
and then uh, supporting and, uh, and reinforcing that with ongoing coaching. And that's the side that I re- really, really enjoy. It's something I always used to love doing when I ran large teams. I always say I used to get as much satisfaction out of seeing my staff develop their skills, their capabilities, their experience, and becoming more successful as much as I did closing, in many cases, multi-million pound deals. And that's what I do now, but with a multitude of other businesses. And, and so I'll be continuing to do that over the next the 12 to 24 months, but enhancing some of the programs that are already in place. And I do wish you all the luck in the world and executing that to a great effect, uh, Phil. And as I say, yeah, maybe brilliant to maybe catch up on uh, that in future, how the business is getting on when hopefully there'll be some positive news to uh, to share. Uh, but for now, thank you for joining us on uh, today's programme. It's been an immense pleasure having you. And uh, as I say again, best of luck um, in the future and uh, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on in the world as well. Thanks very much, Scott. Lovely to speak to you too. It was an immense pleasure indeed welcoming Phil Sayers, founder of Proton Sales Development Limited, onto today's programme. And I do hope that everybody tuning in thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Um, now, if you are listening in today and you are the head of a business or an organisation which you feel has its own story of success to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, then by all means, we want to hear from you. So why not also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Until the next time, you've been listening to the Leaders' Council podcast with your host, Scott Chaloner. Please do take care and goodbye.